Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast. Been waiting 30 years to talk about it. I love that Jerry is kind of his kryptonite. But every line is a gem. We love a short king. Such an ass. Too busy watching the heat develop. She's in full flirt. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about season three, episode five, The Gold Rush. Hello and welcome. Hello and welcome to, I don't know, an episode we've I don't know if you can even say anticipate. I guess we knew it was coming up. I haven't really thought much about it, but not really. I guess here we are. It's weird that we're finally at this episode, and I think I'm going to be very mm-hmm. sad when we're done. It's either going to what I think is interesting about this episode coming up is we have we have been thinking about it and perhaps even talking a big talk for a while. Yeah, I do, I don't know if we can live up to our. Our created or imagined hype. (laughs) Yeah, like I am a little nervous about like actually doing this. And that's what I mean by like when it's over, I'm going to be like, I can't go back and redo that again. Team, uh, just listeners, a little a little behind the scenes is like there were conversations about when to schedule recording this so that Lauren could be in the right headspace to talk (laughs) about this episode. You know, like there was a like this has had such a buildup. I wanted some rest. I wanted my brain to be in a good be space. Ready. I have been waiting 30 years to talk about it. So it's it's very interesting because I think at the end of the day, like it's just it's one of the many good episodes of season three. Yeah. Like no, actually exactly. watching it without without giving much away was like, a, oh, this is a really great episode. I think it means so much because of what we know to come. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that the episode itself is as like revolutionary as my brain thinks it is. Because I've imbued it with the relationship. That's a good point. I love this episode, and I think oh, that, I, that it's is well the, crafted. I'm not saying I. I'm not saying it's not a great episode. Yeah, but I'm saying I think I have filled in between the lines moments that don't actually happen in this episode. Oh, good because point. I'm I see. Layering yeah, yeah. it with relationship. I'm trying to rewatch this show for our podcast with this, like, with only the information I have prior. I know. And How it's do hard I feel about this? That, it's so hard because know, I'm watching I'm this and I'm watching the way they look at each other and I watch the way they talk to each other. And I'm just like, well, because and I'm like, well, no. Okay. All I know is the last time we saw Jerry. <laughs> it's fascinating. All that to say, I both loved this episode as much as I thought I did, mm-hmm. but I love it for different reasons. Like, oh, it's that's not, interesting. It's a moment in the relationship where I think my brain combined the relationship into this moment, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, so it was really fun watching this and being like, this is the next time we see, oh, surprise everyone, this is the next time we see Jerry Gold. Um, <laughs> but it's it's just the next time we see Jerry Gold and then something really interesting happens and the relationship changes as opposed to it being the the love story that that I know it to be. It's the beginning of it. Yeah, it's it's the episode that takes it from a fling to a deep, meaningful relationship that they will have, but also now have no matter what happens. It's like when we met Jerry the first time, it was the beginning of their story, but this is the pivot into their love story. Yes. And what's interesting is that, um, which we'll talk about, is that I have a table draft mm-hmm. for this episode, and I noticed that at the end, they don't say they love each other. Mm-hmm. I emailed Corby and Steve and asked them if they remembered why that was added because I have a thought as to why I think it was. And what was interesting Mm -hmm. is that 
Corby said she believes that it was added so that their their relationship would not be considered trivial or gimmicky. Yep. Steve said that these two wonderful actors had such great chemistry, and if he remembers correctly, a genuine affection for each other. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, implying that it may have just been what they saw on the stage. That's what I thought was I was like, oh, by adding that to the end of it, it colors the entire episode and gives it so much more depth, the depth mm-hmm. that the actors were already giving it throughout the entire episode. Yes. And it changes it from just being another Jerry Gold fling episode to mm-hmm. a real sort of trajectory forward in what their relationship was. It, it builds it up as opposed to just lying flat. Yes, it it validates Jerry in a way that, that parallels the episode. You know, the, yeah. we, when we first meet him, he's the king of trash TV. We find out, oh, he's actually secretly very intelligent and knows exactly what he's doing, which I think, of, speaking of revolutionary, I think that was revolutionary for the time. For it, That is something that we now know with uh, media literacy since, is that the people mm-hmm. who are rage farmers know exactly what they're doing. And they're a lot smarter, and it's very foolish to write them off as unintelligent. Yes. Uh, but I, I think, you know, in this episode, we see him get this opportunity of legitimacy of being seen as more than just a punchline to his peers. Yeah, and that that's important to him. And that it's important to him and that he knows he is. And it also, I I think if we had left Jerry as just a fling for Murphy, it'd be like, well, everyone makes mistakes, as opposed to Murphy's very intelligent and she wasn't just won over by a trashy person who wasn't the right fit for her. It was that he is a good fit for her And she sees him for more than what everyone else does. Yes. Yeah. So this episode is written by Stephen Peterman, Gary Donzig. It is directed by Barnett Kelman, and it aired October 22nd, 1990. Uh, Also want to share that we have ratings for the first episode of the season. And after the Emmy win, they did get a bump, which I think is why it's interesting to point out. They went from a 14 share to a 19 share. So the show is sort of steadily becoming towards the hit that most people know it as, I would say. Mm-hmm. Also, we have some really cool little blurbs from TV Guide, uh, which we didn't have before. And this is the way the episode was described in TV Guide. The insults and the sparks fly when Murphy Brown's old flame, Jerry Gold, Jay Thomas, joins Murphy for a series of heated debates on FYI. I think that's a great description. It's a great description. I just love the insults and the sparks fly when... <laughs> And then also a little uh, blurb from when the episode was repeated and TV Guide refers to this episode as first rate. Mm-hmm. Which it is. We we know that we are very uh, biased toward seasons three and four in particular. But yeah. this is just, like I said, it's one of a number of excellent episodes this season. It's I love that this the level of this episode becomes a standard that I'm like, yeah, it's another good one. Yeah, and <laughs> like, even though it's about Murphy and Jerry, for the little that the, the gang does they're like at the top of their game working as an ensemble yes there are so many great moments of them individually that i just love in this episode even though they're not the main focus uh it's so the background good. work by the gang is incredible they're yeah all, everyone has a little moment that is one of my favorite parts of every scene yes no agreed and then also which was funny we have a little article from tv guide called brown's blue episode with gold which for a second i thought oh wait is this 
Is this brown about the brown and blue episode? No, yeah. it's about Jerry. <laughs> and it's this little tiny interview, and it says that uh, Murphy Brown and talk show host Jerry Gold will rekindle last season's romance, quote, even hotter than before. On Monday's hey. episode of the CBS show, Jay Thomas, now here's something interesting, too who reprises his Emmy-nominated role. This is the only article that does state he didn't win. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> he wins for this mm-hmm. episode. So therefore, when this episode aired, he had not won. He'd only been nominated. Whereas everything else, including the Emmy website, says that Jay won. It's so bizarre to me. Jay Thomas, who reprises his Emmy-nominated role as right-wing sleazoid with a soft side, reveals... Jerry and Murphy actually do the dirty deed, and a member of the FYI staff catches us. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that. Yeah, so we'll talk about that. And you pointed something out about this. Oh, yes. No, I said that it, the Chase says that they actually have sex. At least that's what I think he's referring to. But we know mm-hmm. that they did in the last episode. Even though we debated that, we were pretty sure that they did. At the beginning of this episode, if anything, Murphy confirms that the best part confirmed. of their relationship was the sex was pretty good. But I, I think we could also play it like this is the first time they do it out in the open, not literally, yes. but also like not be not in secret, not stealthing around in a secret fling. But I think it's genuinely just that Jay, in his in his episode, when he filmed his first episode, there was no confirmation. And in this one, there is. So yes. he assumed they didn't. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Definite confirmation. Also, what's interesting about this article, and I think we may have mentioned this before, but we've heard a couple different stories about how they came to the idea of making them a couple or, you know, go on a date or be in a relationship, was that he says that in the middle of one of the rehearsals for his first episode that Diane came up to him and said, you know, we're already working on you guys falling in love. Oh, yay. We love it so Oh, I much. just love them. Also, you know, them. we also get Carl and John have great moments in this episode. Like, it's not just our team. It's the, the second when string. When I tell you, Carl and John, they are... These two men, they really, they're really part of my favorite parts of this episode. And some of my favorite clothes and like, oh my God, we just need to get into it, don't we? So speaking of uh, paid maternity leave, the episode opens on uh, Jerry Gold's show. Yes. And he is um, ragging on a a group called Time Off for Us, uh, which is seeking uh, more and paid maternity leave. He wants to call them tofu. Which, oh man, if he was in real life, I would hate him so much. I know, it's like everything that Jim does, I'm like, I get it, Jim. Oh, Jim, I I get it. I want to push him in front of a bus if he was, if I didn't know what I knew. I'd want to push him in front of a bus. Jim already, my man, always and forever. Jim, even more, my man, always and forever in this episode. By the way, I, I should mention that there is no song, but there was a song in the original draft. Um, the Ooh, reason, yes. I, yeah, the reason I like these table drafts is that they're always overwritten, which we've talked about, and we'll talk mm-hmm. more about. Even though we have, like, in the first season, talked about the week and how it works, we have this really great behind the scenes from next week's episode, so we'll go more into detail then. But they're always they always have extra character information that gets cut for time, and and that's on purpose because then the actors are used to playing it because the week is so yeah. quick, so quick. So the song is "Don't Say Nothing Bad About My Baby" by the Cookies. 
It was going to be a cut of scenes from like their first episode, Heart of Gold. I love that as like a little factoid in the background. Yeah. I actually love we just open on how awful he is. No, I agree. No, no, no. It's like, a perfect cut. It's a perfect cut where it's, it's like, cut. I love that for my behind the scenes brain. But for the episode itself coming in on this, you're just like, no, I agree. agree, Jim. And eventually the show realized <laughs> that, you know, if they just cut the songs, they'd have more time for character. And so eventually there's barely any music. But so. every once in a while, a well-placed montage. Ugh, love a montage. So Jerry is in combat with the woman representing time off for us uh, and claiming that they want to be able to, you know, just take time off and with no risk of losing their job every time they have a bun in the oven. To which we see that the folks at FYI are watching this episode. We'll find out why in the bullpen. And Jim cries out, oh, shut up. Oh, shut up, you good Lord. I'm yelling at a television. You see what this man does to him. Corky can't believe that Murphy Brown ever went out with Jerry Gold. She says he's crude and nasty, and you know, you know he's got one of those really hairy backs. I love the way Faith delivers really hairy back, and then she like yeah. like moves. I can't explain it. Like I guess like sways her hands like on her back and her front. Yeah, it's, it's like she like just... she's so gross and disgusted that like yeah. Yep, <laughs> she's in a full body performance at that moment. Uh, Frank says that he spent three months in therapy talking about Murphy's relationship with Jerry Gold and says one of my favorite lines, which is three months talking about someone else's sickness. If that's not sick, I don't know what is. I hear you. I love this scene. I love all this. (laughs) Jim proclaims to the bullpen that if he lives to be 100, he'll never understand what Murphy Brown saw in that man. At that moment, of course, our hero Murphy is sneaking up behind him in, may I sidebar, a wonderful slate blue menswear inspired outfit with a chain yeah and then i think she's wearing the sort of mismatched shirt where like one side is different but you can't see it that she wore in episode two which was like very big in the 90s with the like earth tone patterns she has a brooch i love all of her outfits in this episode she looks fantastic but yeah it looks great this one is my favorite. I don't know if it unintentionally inspired what I wore to be made of honor to my best friend's wedding last year, oh, but okay. it. I have to now start rewearing that suit that I got because obviously I was just trying to be Murphy Brown. Aren't we all? And Well, we if all? I may say, I didn't realize this the thousand times I watched this episode. Like I used <laughs> to have it memorized, took it on uh-huh. vacation with me. Oh, Lauren. I realized that the outfit that Corky's wearing, that sort of like mm-hmm. blue one it's like a dress but it's a, it's like a suit jacket yep uh I, the outfit that i wore to my brother's bat mitzvah looked exactly like that but in red hey and hey. i was like how did i never realize that i did that you can't help that you're inspired by these fashion icons i was i really was yeah but she looks fantastic too. so murphy has snuck up behind all of them during jim's speech she looks very confident and calm and just says well for starters the sex is pretty good They all leap back. This is when we know that they did it. Y'all, they did it. And Jim says, Murphy, our good friend and colleague wearing those shoes that make no noise. Can we talk about this for a second? Wait, I just love that we're already establishing shoes. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, interesting. We're already thinking about shoes. Just everyone keep that in mind. What were you going to say? I... This is another one of those lines where wearing those shoes that make no noise should not be funny on paper. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so it's so funny. The way Charlie says it, it is so fun. Wearing those shoes that make no noise. It's an all, you know what it is? It's an almost miles line. I, it's, you know, to me, it's the rhythm of it. And it's just so damn awkward. And the way that Charlie just like, 
Uh. We agree why it's funny. But what I think is interesting is that it's a line that I feel like I'm, I'm used to Miles saying. That type of humor I hear so often from Miles. And I think it's because Jim is rarely like knocked onto his heel and awkward and unsure of what to say. Yeah. And and usually and has it has to ramble. To, yeah. Usually it has to do with sex and Jerry yep. Gold. And now it's the two of them together. Oh, it's just the it's anathema to to sweet Jim. Yes. <laughs> Corky says, Oh, they were absolutely not talking about her affair with Jerry Gold unless she heard and then Jim started it. Which fair, he did. Murphy is fine. She says they only dated a couple of weeks. She doesn't expect them to understand the relationship. Honestly, she doesn't either. But it's been over a year. She's finally over it. And they should get over it, too. What I like is this is one of those times in a sitcom where they're not playing a she's clearly not over it and pretending that she is and just she doth protest too much. She genuinely does seem fine and over yeah. it. There's not a like a fakeness to it, which I think is a very common sitcom trope. And like, no, I'm fine. I'm over it. I'm fine. I don't care. Yeah, I love I love how Candace plays it honestly through yeah. this whole She's thing. Chill. And even both of them, it's one of those things where mm-hmm. and you imagine Jerry took the job because he probably said the same thing. It's when they're in the same room together. Yep. And they see each other and then they mm-hmm. have that same banter. Yeah, it's oh it's man, their, it's it's their presence, you know. It's They're, after nose to nose. It's it's when they like oh, it's oh once nose to nose is like incepted, they're they're doomed. What I love about their relationship, and I think this is part of it, is this incredibly equal, respectful maturity they have about each other, even when they're being immature. Because yeah. they, like, they, when they ended things the last time, it was with such understanding and respect and a knowledge, and there was not, there was nothing left really unsaid. There was yeah. a, we are both, we are, they're just so mature and grounded in the rightness of the decisions that they make, and they made it together. That's a really that, good point. Yeah. Like, considering two people who get off yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. That's never how they ended. Exactly. Never. And I love that. And I honestly think that was a huge, that had a huge impact on me as a young person watching this. When I think about, obviously, a lot of entertainment and content that we consume, especially when we're young and, and growing up, but the majority of what we watch is about human relationship. Mm-hmm. Whatever stories we tell, it comes back down to the human relationship factor. That is what is compelling. Those are the stories we're telling when we whittle them down to the basic three stories that everyone tells. And for a young person watching a lot of sitcom and rom-com romance growing up, because that's what was in front of us, mm-hmm. this type of dynamic was really unusual, especially because it was from a more mature couple, both age mm-hmm. and emotionally. But also seeing it with that dynamic of the I I I was a big consumer of you know they banter because they hate each other but they actually love each other like that was yeah. one that was just one that of was my tropes too, that yeah. I loved oh my gosh but seeing it be non toxic having that be kind of their kink together but seeing that their actual relationship and true communication was healthy and kind and respectful really impacted me in ways that I'm just kind of now realizing as I get older. Yeah, I mean, there's a line. I mean, not that you don't see it in his face the whole time. In his in Jerry's last episode, when he asks her about her cancer, he's like, "I can't mm-hmm. think of anything hurting you." Oh God, I love. Oh, that almost made me cry. I love that line so much. I, I love, love them. I just 
love them. And I we'll love that I get this. to love them with you. You, you right? used to just be me, and now I have you to talk about it with. We'll never be alone again. <laughs> never be alone. Okay, so, so yes, Murphy says this. We we believe her, which is so refreshing. Yeah. We our attention is brought back to the screen, and Jerry announces that it's the last show. He says, maybe Oprah and Geraldo don't mind spending their time listening to every whining weirdo that comes down the pike. But after eight years, he's had it. He's moving on. So he starts to walk back to his chair and says, so go on, get out of here. I'm sick of looking at you. Murphy is standing kind of slightly apart from the rest of the bullpen watching that. And she's gazing at the screen, truly surprised and impressed. You see all of these emotions go across her face. And she says, unbelievable. Jerry Gold left a 30 share show. Let the villagers rejoice. Frank yells out, let the villagers rejoice. Everyone cheers. But I do want to go back to the 30 share thing, which is uh, comparing to what you just said about where Murphy Brown is currently. Oh, yeah. Let's give some context. So what were the ratings for Murphy at this point? They went from from 14 to 19. To 19, yeah. So 30 leading. Yeah. Like Murphy Brown would, the the show, like meta, the Murphy Brown show itself at this time would kill to be a 30 share show. Yeah, not it's not doing as well as Jerry Gold is. (laughs) No, so that's like the level of popularity that Murphy Brown has at the beginning of season three is excellent for a new show and it's about to get way more excellent and they wouldn't have known this also when they wrote it right when they filmed and wrote no. this the, they wouldn't have known that the first episode was gonna like give them a bump thanks to the yeah. enemy so yeah so the level of show that jerry gold has in the murphy brown universe is beyond and he's choosing to leave you see murphy just kind of have this like i never thought he'd do it she's so she's impressed she's so impressed and you see her seeing the man that she fell for who is not the character he plays yeah it's reminding her why she yes. why they had the fling to quote yes. tv guy. and it's reminding us as well exactly yeah no again another reason why i like this episode because it's like even the small things all infuse the plot and help yep make the the story arc so much more believable but you know what mm-hmm. i also love about this scene is when Everyone sort of is talking at once and she shushes everyone by like literally putting up her arms like yes, a queen. Everybody yep. shush like I am paying attention to this. Mm-hmm. I just love that moment because of how she just commands the space to be like, no, this is yeah. important to me. What I also love about that particular moment is she's more playful. She'll yell. She'll be whatever. But when she actually needs everyone, she has that power and she doesn't always utilize it. I wanted to use the word elegant, even though that's not really, mm-hmm. I guess, what's happening necessarily. But also it, it plays into this entire scene where Miles and Murphy are so mature. Yeah. So mature about this. So I go back to the carriage that she has when she talks about it, because Murphy always pretty much always coming from a position of power. Yeah. And sometimes it's more in the Mike Wallace and address energy, where she's a little more energy forward and like aggressive in her stance and in her speech and everything. This she's very set back in her heels to simplify. There's much more masculine air to her where she's just mm-hmm. relaxed back. Her pace is a little slower. She's more confident and she just commands the room in a way that is very grounded, mature and confident. And we often see her just going for it because she's a go-getter and she gets her thing. And she yeah. like we, we get a high off of Murphy just like bulldozing the room. But it's very interesting, these moments when they choose to have her sat back and confident. She's always confident, but this is different. And in a way, which we're going to get to the scene when she finds out, right? She doesn't mm-hmm. get mad. 
She just sort mm-hmm. of sits there and ponders it. Yep. It's really interesting. And so you also get the sense of like, is she more upset or worried about the fact that what his brand of journalism brings to the show? Or mm-hmm. is she more sort of bewildered and unsure how she can be professional working with an ex? I don't actually want this answer. So I'm going to say this right now. But I love that I don't entirely know what she's thinking. Agreed. I like it. I yeah. love the writing and the performance choice of that. I don't truly know. And I think that's what's really compelling about this first scene and this episode. Yeah, because it leads into the next scene because... Mm-hmm. If you didn't, you know, know that this is what Jerry always does, if you didn't read the synopsis, mm-hmm. right, you might be like, oh, how is she going to handle it? I'm not sure mm-hmm. how she feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love it. I Everyone love it. cheers. And Miles arrives. He says, great, they're all here. They can get to a few minor announcements. Just uh, minor announcements. Uh, first one being, hey, some people are parking a little too close to the edge of their spaces. It's making it hard for other people to park. So, you know, be better about that. Uh, second, Jerry Gold is joining our show. Um, anyway, and... <laughs> Big, big screeched, wait a minute, from Murphy. She stands up. Did they just hear him say that Jerry Gold is joining FYI? That's not what you said, is it? It couldn't be what you said. Could it? I also love that line delivery. It's great. It's so good. And Miles starts to groan and says he sometimes hates this job. And my sweet Jim leaps up. And <gasps> all I can say is this, this is in all caps. Grabs Miles and starts like, by the lapel, starts thrashing him back and forth, shaking him, screaming, how could you let this happen? How could you? We trusted you. Traitor, traitor, traitor. Everyone has to hold him back. I love that Jerry is kind of his kryptonite. I love that. Even more than some other dunces he's had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Because because he's not a dunce. So this is a great, again, this great moment for Miles where Miles shrieks back, how do they think he feels? He hates it as much as they do. But they've been getting mail accusing them as having a liberal bias. And Jerry will balance that. What I like is that he actually, this is one of those things where it's not just Miles being told by by the heads that he has to do something and he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it, but he also understands why. Yeah, no, he's such a professional in this entire episode. Sweet Frank says it's a nightmare. It's He always has this kind of dream when the blanket gets all twisted and he can't move his arms. Quirky has one of my favorite lines where she she begs Miles to say that he's oh, not going to be God, sitting at their line. anchor desk. I don't want that. It's our desk. You have to build him his own little desk and it can't be touching ours. She's so good. Faith is so good. I will never so impersonate good. Faith because I can't. But every line is a gem. Every damn oh, line is so a gem. she's so good in this episode. So Murphy's not saying anything. She says, how do I feel about this? How do I feel? And Miles sits down across from her and says he swears he fought the network on it. And Murphy continues and says, on the one hand, it could be horrible. On the other hand, I could rise above it. View it as a test of my character. I could accept the situation like a professional journalist. The gang protests. And she says, no, no, she's surprised to hear herself say this, but the idea of seeing Jerry Gold again doesn't affect her one way or another. And she's clearly very, like, I'm shocked by my ambivalence. Yeah, she's, it's, she feels yeah. she's over him, is she, though? And Frank, what I and I love that they do this because they make the distinction about her feelings toward Jerry Gold and her feelings about yes. him being, his, his mm-hmm. brand being on F- FYI. Frank says he can't believe it. She doesn't mind him being on FYI. And she says, of course, she hates the idea of giving him and his politics airtime. But if Miles says he did everything he could, what else can they do? And then she snaps to Miles and says, you did threaten to quit, right? Miles, I'm not sure, did threaten to quit. And she says, no, oh, you bet. <laughs> I love it. He says, you bet. And he's like, almost like biting his nails. And it's so obvious like, oh, you, he did you not do that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Miles did that. not threaten to quit. No, he did not. Cut two. 
Cut to the bullpen. Um, in the original draft, Phil was in this scene at the beginning, but obviously cut for time. I think we'll always see that, uh, unfortunately, Phil or Eldon tend to get cut because they're not really anything to do with the major plot. Yeah. But what was great is that we have this sort of tableau of the gang, right? They're sitting at the, the conference table and they were all just pissed off and annoyed. They have their mugs. Uh, Corky is just like individually ripping the tissues in little yes. tiny like strands, I guess. Jim is stirring his tea. Frank is thumbing a pencil and they're just looking straight ahead. Jim is rigid. Like oh, Jim so rigid. is, I definitely stir my cup with the same pursed lips that Jim does when I'm really particularly agitated. Like he is so still. Only the most necessary body parts move. <laughs> And they won't even look at Miles when he comes over. Like, no. they're so angry at him. You know, but he's glad they're all there before Jerry arrives. You know, he just wants to say how proud he is at everyone for handling a very difficult situation in such a professional matter. And nobody's mad at me. Which then <laughs> everyone just shoots up and goes to sort of their own neutral corners, ignoring him, doing their own thing. Particularly Jim is just sort of pretending to read a newspaper, like really in a very angry way. Miles is not happy that they're mad at him, of course. <laughs> and uh, he says that, oh, come on, it's ridiculous. If Murphy can get past her history with Jerry Gold, so can we. When Jerry arrives, he just wants to show him that, you know, the group can get through any challenge with courage, grace and dignity. <laughs> <laughs> to which Jim says, I'd rather push him in front of a bus. That's my man. That's my man. <laughs> and then our man Jerry comes off the elevator. So proud of himself. Big grin oh, on him. So, so happy. proud. Huge grin, hands out. Well, hi there, co-workers. Jerry's here. Yes, the happy day has finally arrived. And who would have thought it, huh? Jerry Gold on FYI. Oh, and me without my camera. Talk about your Kodak <laughs> moments. He's oh such ah, oh, such an ass. He's insufferable. Ugh. Uh, Miles is the first to offer his hand. And I, I know this is trivial, but every time I see this scene, I always notice how they're exactly the same height. Yes. <laughs> but like, I'm sorry, Jay, but like 90s cut of blazers back then, like where it goes <sighs> almost past the knee or to the knee, it does not favor him well. Oh, no. It didn't favor a lot of people well. No, it just makes him look But shorter. especially not our short kings. Yes, we love a good short king here. We love a short king. In the stage directions, it says that you can cut the silence with an axe. <laughs> I love them so much. I love these writers so much. <laughs> so Miles really, you know, is just letting him know that, you know, they want to work together as a team, really sort of encouraging the the gang, you know, to be involved, which they're not. He's there if, if Jerry's willing to be there. Mm -hmm. And what I love is that Jerry says, oh, I'm touched. I don't know what to say. But the indicator in the script says with the sincerity of a Vegas lounge act. Oh, God, it's real. Which, of course, is like, yeah, that's totally how Jay's doing it. That's our guy. He's like, oh, I'm touched. I don't know what to say. And then he goes, oh, what the hell? And then Bear hugs Jim. I wanted to push him in front of a bus for Jim. It's just the, the worst thing you could do to my man. Yes. I mean, and as we'll see, and as we've talked about, Jerry is a troll. He looks oh, yeah. about the room. He picks what each person he knows feels vulnerable about, and uh -huh. he goes in for the kill. The worst thing about Jerry Gold is that he's so good at reading people. 
Oh, so good. It's his weapon. And he is like, it could be his boon, but he uses it as a weapon. And he loves it. He loves just like getting oh. under people's skin. And what I also love is that like Jim just looks like he, it's the grossest thing. The, it makes him so uncomfortable. He's like grimacing and trying to move his head away. <laughs> and guy. then of course he puts salt in the wound and goes, Jim, it feels good to me too. We don't want the others to be jealous, do we? <laughs> so funny and so mean. Then he goes after Frank for riding a tractor in his Plight of the Farmer piece. Again, <laughs> tries to go after either him being boring or his masculinity. And then mm -hmm. always to Corky, assuming that she's an idiot. And I'm sorry, Corky. I'm sorry. I love this line so much. Yep. He says, mm -hmm. Sherwood, have you ever figured out why drive-in movies don't have that name? Honestly, it's such a good dig. Again, it's how dare he, but also well done. <laughs> yeah. And then Jim, of course, he's happy. The other thing I love about that is it's not just it's not just a bimbo joke, it's a virgin joke. You oh really? I think it's a I'd simple, simple Puritan. Uh, to me, it's a like mocking the simple girl from a small town who doesn't know the world in both intelligence and purity. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't see it that way at all, but that- She's that... pristine, and she's that, you know, that early 80s style that we've talked about of the frothy, sweet girl from a small town. And he treats her like a bimbo. Because he knows that it's going to get her goat. Mm -hmm. Sort of emphasizes what we've said about Jerry in the past, about he revels in it. He literally revels in it while they all yell at him. Like, he just loves that they're all annoyed by him. I guess it's because it's like he has all the power in the room, yeah. which is why it makes it so interesting that this is the moment that Murphy comes off the elevator because uh -huh. Jerry changes instantly. And it's not just that everyone in the room kind of stops because they know what's about to, that this is they have a history and like this is going to be awkward or weird and everyone wants to know what's going to happen. Jerry literally just everything stops and he just looks at her stops. Yeah. He's already in love with her. Just seeing her, I guess what I'm saying is he drops the entire facade. I was going to say, it's the embodiment of meeting your match. No one there is a match for him. She walks off and immediately, like, the atmosphere in the room changes. And the stage directions say that Murphy is completely in control, whereas mm -hmm. Jerry, his showboat attitude drops away as the others watch in town. Oh, and it does. I love it when I read stuff like that in a draft in a script and see how successfully it happened on screen. Because yeah. we talk a lot about as as writers, we don't get to give thesis statements once somebody takes over our piece and it is being produced. Now it's in the hands of the others. And so you hope that what you, you strove for ends up in the final product. But this is one of those really satisfying moments where what they wrote there is exactly what happened on screen. And it's so it's so ephemeral. You know, like mm. this this concept of what they wrote and the fact that these two actors made that happen. It's not just like we wrote and he walked four steps and the four steps happened. It's this thing that can only happen kind of metaphysically when the people understand what they're doing. And it happened and we watched it. And that's how I would have described it. Yeah. And that's why I love reading it. Murphy and Jerry exchange very awkward pleasantries, we might say. <laughs> Miles says that they should get to work. Miles, again, being... So great, so professional. He says we don't stand on ceremony, you know, that Jerry can sit any, anywhere he wants. But if you notice, Jay, Jerry, never takes his eyes off Murphy the entire nope. walk to that table. Yep. It's their 
it's oh man it's so good because it's so primal like they are you you watch this episode and you know that anytime they are in the same space they always know where the other one is either by staring at them staring at each other or just aware like i it's one of those i am i know that if he walks behind her murphy feels it in her back mm. you know like wow, it is this yeah. this this magnetism to each other that you see with couples sometimes where they're just so aware of each other let's talk about murphy's choice of clothing to wear Mm, yeah, to see choice. him again. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I find it so interesting. She looks fabulous, right? Oh, yeah, as always. But I, I almost feel like she kind of was like, well, I'm going to wear this large shirt so it looks like I don't care as much. I know it was in at the time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I'm wearing a short skirt. She chose this outfit to look fabulous, but also look like she was trying not to care what she was wearing. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it's that like light indigo, dark periwinkle, purple button up, right? That's yeah. what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which she eventually so, wears while she's pregnant. Like that's how big it is. Literally, when she walked in, I was like, oh, that's her pregnancy outfit. So yes, I think it's in at the time. But I think one of the reasons that it's in is because it makes you look effortless. Yes. And it's this like body neutral, like she, it's so... I'm not about my body that you're thinking about my body. Exactly. It's also, it's a men's shirt vibe. Mm -hmm. You know, the there's a like. up as opposed yeah. to like down, which is like, I just, I, again, I don't want it to sound like I think she looks bad. She does not look bad. No, I she just looks feel incredible. like she, she looks amazing. But I feel it's a combination of maybe even subconsciously of looking fabulous for your ex, which you want to do, but mm -hmm. also look like yep. you didn't dress up for him. I'm going to be honest. It's a little like. For me, it's a blend of, and I may be completely overthinking this, and I'm fine with that because this is what yeah. we do here. We For do me, it. it's a blend of, oh, you're here. I, I didn't even think about it. I just got ready this morning. Exactly. Next with yeah. postcoital. <laughs> yeah. It's a little like I just threw your shirt on, so I could go get a glass of water and stuck my hair up in a pencil because it's sweaty. Like there's something about it that's very like, I didn't try. I just, I just look this way because I'm too busy being myself. Agreed. You know, versus the Huntress jacket when yes, she's going right? to yeah. war. You know, like we know what she looks like when she dresses in her armor. And yes. we know she does. So, yeah, I agree. Something I just realized I also wrote was, I know it's obvious that in Murphy Brown, every love interest story is going to revolve around her. But the way that he looks at her, he is besotted with her for the entire run of the series. Yes, absolutely. He always looks at her that way. Yeah, like besotted. Is, I love this like perfect. Besotted. So Miles asks Jim to tell Jerry what they're working on. And he goes, no. the, the way he goes, no, no. Uh, and then Murphy defends Jerry. He's like, you know, he's been hired to do a job. At least, you know, let him do it. Mm -hmm. To which Jerry says, you know, thank you. And I have these great ideas how to get the show out of this liberal rut, which, of course, Murphy's like, I, I, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Our shows are very well balanced, which, of course, you know, Jerry, you is not going to hear it. And then the two nope. of them just sort of go back and forth about, you know, these ideas that they had. Like, he felt that they had a wimpy pro-environment piece. She said that that was a very, you know, well-researched look, how greed is depleting a precious resource. He mocks the ozone layer. Like, they just going back and forth. And Miles, you just see, like, his little little eyes. Like, like you imagine a little light bulb is, like, oh appearing at the top of his head. Also, I just, here's the deal. Yeah. What I love is 
had I never seen this episode before, I guarantee I would have been having the same light bulb as him as it was happening. It's written in such a way that as he's thinking it, I'm like, I know what he's going to suggest. Like, it's so well crafted that I feel like yeah. it's such a great moment where the audience is at the same place as the character who is like kind of our eyes in that moment. Because by the time he suggests what he's about to suggest, the entire audience is like, yes, please, God, can this be a segment? And it's so entertaining, not just because like mm -hmm. they're really good at it. Even the like modifiers like, oh, my heart bleeds. Yes, he, they're so It's good. so showy and like it's it's pure entertainment. And the fact mm -hmm. that Miles sees that because he's a really good producer, he says, hold it, because he has this great idea. And they both go, stay out of it. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. What do you think of like a freewheeling debate kind of thing every week that the two of them would, you know, debate one one idea? A scripted, freewheeling debate kind of thing every week on FYI. And Jerry is like, why would I give some of my precious airtime to Brown so she can get on one of her liberal bandwagons? Murphy is so unfazed. I love that she's not actually mm -hmm. like upset. Like Jerry actually is the one bringing the heat right now. She's mm -hmm. just like, why would I give? Oh, she goes, it's lousy television. Like I'd have him on the ropes in no time. Like uh, there's no qualms about this. <laughs> it's so good. They're so yeah. equal. I like to think that Murphy is not goading him. She's just like, no, like no. I'm the superior person here. And Jerry's and that's like, her no. power in a, in like a patriarchal world where like, that's why she's so powerful at what she does because what men are expecting is for the woman to get flustered and emotional. And she's like, no, I'd kill him. And that's what makes her such a good opposite to the man who gets to get emotional. It's like, he gets to get emotional and her power is, I mean like, oh no, he can't do this. <laughs> Yeah, and then he sort of gets at her ego, and then it ends with any topic, any time. And he goes, you're on. And Miles goes, yes. And we all go, oh, they're on. <laughs> they're so on. At that point, you're like, they're gonna do it. Sorry. So yes, we find ourselves in the studio. And Jim is letting us know that now FYI is expanding its format for a new segment called Nose to Nose. And we also look over to the monitor where we have say. Miles and John and a, I think the hair and makeup team. <laughs> like there's a mm -hmm. crowd behind them as well, all gathered to watch this go down. I want to make a little nod to like the cart, the cartoon, the caricature behind. Yes. Their noses are huge. <laughs> yep, and just nose to nose. Nose. The to topic nose. for the day is federal funding for the arts. Some people think that because the government gives money to the National Endowment for the Arts, it should have the right to dictate what the artist does with that money. In other words, to censor. This is uh, honestly a topic I know you and I could talk about on our own on a separate date. This yeah. idea of who gives money and therefore who gets to decide. But yeah, which is interesting, we, right? Because it's an offshoot of like kind of what was being talked about, but very sort of thinly in brown and blue. So they're yes. taking they're taking these topics through the season. Well, and something I find funny, you know especially because we call this a blue episode because the different uh, definitions of what blue could be. Mm -hmm. Something I do find interesting before we get into this full banter is that in the table draft, we see part of the banter that was removed from this, this yeah. segment, which is about First Amendment and freedom of speech, which is something that they is cut out of this because we just had that debate in a previous episode. <laughs> but I do find it interesting that this debate kind of comes back up where we're talking about the Constitution guarantees freedom of speech. Jerry has a line that was cut that says, it doesn't say I have to buy finger paints and Play-Doh for every unemployed wacko who calls himself an artist. <laughs> but I do find that very interesting. We have this nice like back and forth about this topic. But part of the original back and forth is a conversation that we just had in Brown and Blue. 
part of Jerry's remaining argument in the episode is that if some guy wants to dance naked with a pig on the Pentagon steps, that's his business to call it art. But he don't expect the taxpayer to pay for it. If you want to cut censorship, cut the NEA entirely. Murphy says, fights back with, you know, every great society has helped support the arts. What is Greece without Sophocles or Italy without Da Vinci? And she says, you want to tell me Jesse Helms would have considered Picasso work suitable for framing? Sidebar, Jesse Helms, uh, senator from North Carolina from 73 to 2003, leader of the conservative movement, we'll put it that way. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What I like is as this back and forth is starting and they're, you know, clearly, they're clearly equally matched. They both have a really strong opposite opinion about the same thing, but they also slightly agree with each other's, but they find ways to very intelligently twist the other's point of Mm -hmm. view. And you can see Miles and John behind the monitor are getting excited. Jerry says, comes back with the, um, well, if you've got talent, you'll find a way to support yourself. Love that argument, because that's how that works. Bootstraps. Yes. I was like, oh, Jerry, no, you lost me, man. (laughs) And Murphy says, you don't get it, do you, Gold? Without funding, we wouldn't have the music of a Mozart or whatever. And Jerry, this is, again, the like, I love this segment, and it's so perfectly crafted. Mm -hmm. Because, again, in in a patriarchal society like this, Murphy has to stay calm and intelligent to the point of condescending, whereas Jerry gets to get loud and emotional and raise his voice. Yes, he does. So he raises his voice and interrupts, "Um, do you mind I'm not finished? And at that moment, everyone behind the monitor gets excited because now he's yelling at her. And he starts uh, very loudly talking about urban intellectuals and how they know what's right. And um, she interrupts him with, oh, that's right. I forgot. We made our contribution to culture. We invented the fast food restaurant. And at that moment, we cut to the monitor. And John, in one of my favorite moments, like cuts over to gesture to Jim like he's a conductor of an orchestra for Jim to just like end the segment and say, we'll be back next week with more of that as Murphy and Jerry just keep fighting off in the corner and the episode closes. Uh, The FYI episode closes. Yeah. I love that you hear cut their mics, cut their mics. Like they they won't stop. They have no idea that it's, that it's like moved from them at that moment. Like they are still going. (laughs) I love that as they're debating art, Jerry's last line is, I can't believe a woman whose singing voice can peel the paint off a Buick is going to lecture me. Literally one of my favorite lines of this entire episode, and it's just barely overheard. Can peel the paint off a Buick. It's, again, the way that they know each other. Like, the idea that, you know, when we first meet Murphy in in the opening episode, in the pilot... She gets caught singing because she only does that when she's at her most comfortable and vulnerable and herself. Good point, right? And the fact that Jerry knows what her singing voice sounds like, her full abandoned singing voice is, I just love them. So uh, the, the episode ends. They clearly finally clock that no one's filming them anymore. <laughs> and Miles is thrilled. He leaps up to stand behind them and tell you know everyone on set He's celebrating the show saying, that was television with a capital T. It was raw. It was electric. And it was my idea. (laughs) He says, party at Miles' place. They're going to welcome Jerry to the show. (laughs) And then he puts his hand on Jerry's shoulder. He's being so So professional. He loves Jerry now. He's like, let's welcome Jerry, man. Like, look at at this idea we had. Look at this this brotherhood of ratings I have created. Yeah. (laughs) He is so happy. And yeah, he's such a professional. He's like, welcome to the team, buddy. You're valuable. 
So everyone starts heading out. I love that like they finish the air, they finish the broadcast, and everyone's just like, bye, and just starts taking off set. Yeah. Uh, Jerry starts standing up, and he said, they start making their way with everyone else off set. Jerry says, that was quite a workout. She didn't miss an opening. And she says, he wasn't so bad himself. Dance naked with a pig? That's a, a pretty good comeback. And they're kind of walking next to each other, doing that thing where, yeah, they both are very aware of everything the other person's body is doing. Like, they're very oh. aware of where everyone's hand is everyone's uh, like they're looking at each other they're not looking at each other and finally they kind of end up in front of each other he asks if she's going to the party and she says well a girl's got to eat and he says he'll drive her that line which is not in the original script a girl's got to eat is so not murphy and so flirty and so Mm -hmm. like girlish right like which is not Mm -hmm. something that you and not that you know again like the the uh antiquated idea of what girlish is right not mm-hmm. to gender it in in a, a modern context but like this idea yeah. that's that traits that are not associated with murphy at this point in time mm-hmm. of just like in a way that is not usually her mo it reminds me <laughs> i have a friend i won't name them because you could contact them and find out the story and i don't want you to uh who did not believe me for years that I have no game, I none. I know, absolutely not. Uh, I, I could seem like I do, much like I could seem like I'm funny until you tell me to be funny and then I lock up completely. Like I could never do stand up because not on cue. I'm just a weird person. I have game until I realize I need to have game and then I have no game and then I lock up completely. My friend did not believe me that this was true. They were positive that I was lying and that I had game when it came to flirting. And then they witnessed me at a Halloween party where there was someone there that I was in an like casual flirty thing with. And they were standing there when this person made a comment to me and I made one of those kinds of comments back because I thought it was just the two of us and it was, you know, very out of character. They heard it. They still bring it up. It's been like 10 years. Oh, no. Because <laughs> they were like, I didn't believe you. That was the worst thing I've ever heard. That was so cheesy and lame. And I was like, great, cool, thanks. So that was my, well, the girl's got to eat moment. Except it's, Murphy actually pulls it off. <laughs> she does. And then also the fact that he's like, I'll drive you, which whether oh. they mean it or not, seems to me to imply, well, then I'm going to drive you home. Also, I think... Uh, I think it's an even dirtier way to go with that. And I think that that's part of their um, dynamic as well, because I don't think a lot of people can take the power away from Murphy Brown. No, no, they can't. But she isn't. She's in full flirt. I think she lets someone drive when it comes to Jerry. I think she lets him drive. Uh, But cut to. (laughs) I have a lot of images. Which we're about to get to, because we will talk about that. Um, So does Carl. Yes, yeah, so does Carl. Um, so we are in Miles's apartment, and I would like to read to you the description of Miles's apartment in the script because I think you oh, will please do because I have thoughts. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. The walls are. I'm oh, sorry. The walls and carpet are gray. The furniture's gray, black and white. There's glass and chrome everywhere, and the lithographs are the ubiquitous geometric shapes that are the '90s version of Keene's paintings of children with big eyes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a door leading to the kitchen and another to a bedroom. The party's in full swing. And then it just says Murphy and Jerry are talking intently. Oh, here it is. We won't hear everything they say, 
but it will be clear their old heat is coming back. Yeah, to me, the apartment is um, every every yuppie in American Psycho. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. This is every every guy that Patrick Bateman hates in American Psycho. It's their apartment. It's minimalistic. There's not a lot of color except for that sort of like it's, red light globe thing. It's like industrial meets futuristic. It's angles. It's contrast and metallic. It Yes, it's just, it is 80s yuppie culture. <laughs> and then I'm trying to place that big sort of photograph on the wall. Is that Huntley and Brinkley? Oh, I don't know. I did not clock it. I was too busy watching the heat develop. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, of course. So before I go into the scene, I want to take a little bit of a sidebar. I don't know if anyone noticed Murphy has on a very specific bracelet. Mm-hmm. Something that either I didn't notice before or as a kid, I didn't know what that bracelet meant in the history of fashion and jewelry. Mm-hmm. And I think it also is a hint to character, the kind of baby boomer that Murphy Brown is mm-hmm. and where this particular bracelet fits in history. And I think it's so fascinating. So this is the Elsa Peretti bone cuff. If anyone is not familiar with Elsa Peretti, you will probably, surfacely, before I go into the history, uh, know her work from Tiffany's. Yeah, that that particular cuff is so iconic. If you Google it and you look it up, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, and what really surprised me, even though I knew a little bit about Elsa Peretti, and I don't know if you saw the Halston miniseries that was on Netflix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I learned a little bit more about her there. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't get was not just how influential she was in fashion, but in the trajectory of jewelry for women in -hmm. a way that it hadn't been before. Vogue referred to Elsa Peretti as arguably the most successful woman ever to work in a jewelry field. Mm -hmm. She was actually born to a very rich conservative Italian family, which she escaped and sort of became part of this Studio 54 New York 70 scene as a model, particularly for Halston, who ended up becoming one of her best friends. And then she decided to really designed jewelry for him. So the cuff is the first real major thing that she designed. And what I didn't know at the time is that when she decided to use silver, now, Jesse, you may know this because I feel like you know a lot about fashion and history. Mm-hmm. Silver was really not considered kind of a luxury or a hip mm-hmm. or a posh or it was really not something that the upper class or anyone who had any sort of fashion sense would wear. It was more about rose gold or gold. And yeah. this yeah. Do you want to say something that you know about that or you Oh no, I just that? I just I know about that and I've always been fascinated by the uh how we live in this time of mixed metals. Uh, Because that used to, there was a very specific, even having to specify on certain jewelry that it was white gold, not silver, because you didn't want people to think you had silver because white gold was at least luxe. But the idea of, yeah, that yellow gold in particular was particularly luxe versus silver. Also understand that like Halston also was sort of known for this sort of 70s brand of like minimalist and like clean straight line and designs, which is very much what this bone cuff is, which was designed off of Elsa's left wrist. And she does admit that she was very thin at the time. I would like to say that being part of Studio 54 culture, at least according to the movie, probably had, you know, was that thin from drugs. So that's not fun. Mm -hmm. But 
What's interesting about it is that it literally is called a bone cuff because it's the shape of the bone around her wrist. And she actually was inspired by, as a kid, she would go to like these mausoleums and come home with bones. Well, it was um, monks, right? She was... It was, you know, I've I've seen two things, yeah, that it was monks or it was like the local sort of like monastery, yeah. not monastery, or the local sort of uh, cemetery in general. But yeah, I did hear yeah. that. There's like two different stories on it, which she said to her Basically, didn't feel the, macabre. Bone is literal. <laughs> bone yes, is, exactly. is yeah. a literal inspiration. <laughs> but I love that she said, it's not macabre, it's just something that I did. But yeah. I think that what she's saying is that as a designer, right, she just sort of was fascinated with that uh, line of the wrist yeah. and the hand. Also, just a little sidebar is interesting. These cuffs also were used in Wonder Woman 1984. I was going to bring that up, that she wears oh, yeah? them in, in 1984. Yeah. Yeah. Halston was very big with Liza Minnelli. I would say that, like, Halston t- is to Liza Minnelli in the 70s as Bob Mackie would be to Cher or Carol Burnett, yeah. just to sort of give you that idea. He was also known for using fabrics that weren't used a lot. So they were both experimenting. He used cashmere and ultra suede and was really sort of creating this sort of casual elegance for the urban lifestyle, right? So mm-hmm. here you have these women in the 70s who are making their own money, right? Wanting something that is stylish, but also casual. It also works for work. And so it's interesting to sort of see how that's where Murphy is, right? And even Candace. When I think of like this sort of 70s kind of woman, particularly New York woman, even though Candace is from California, I think of Candace Bergen. Mm-hmm. So this cuff becomes huge in 1970. By 1974, she is the head silver designer at Tiffany's. And by 1979, she is the head jewelry designer for the entire company. Mm -hmm. It pays to be different. Yeah, very different. And so the last thing I just want to add that really sort of floored me about this and why I think it really sort of the cuff and Halston in general, particularly the cuff, which has been referred to as armor, Mm -hmm. came about in this time, right, into the 70s being this very particular feminist wave, is that her quote was, you can't afford gold and men have to buy you diamonds, so you're going to wear silver. So in a way, it's kind of this feminist piece of jewelry without really realizing it by saying, you decide. You have the money, you can afford this, you can buy this for yourself, don't let someone else buy it for you. So I think of like silver as part of the 70s, I was brought up liking silver, having no Mm -hmm. idea that it originally was not something that was considered stylish. I was brought up preferring silver tones. And I realized how much jewelry my own mother has from the same same part of that generation, uh, a lot of silver jewelry. And there is also gold jewelry now as well. But uh, there's a lot of silver jewelry in my mother's collection. And I realized that I grew up preferring that tone. And I wonder if that's part of it. Now I have yeah. a ton of gold jewelry as well. And I mix metals, which I appreciate about our our generation of that we get to buy ourselves our own jewels. And yeah. And, and just really quickly, also, people might know the open heart and the bean design. And the mm-hmm. bean is actually how I was introduced to Elsa Peretti. I Never really owned a lot of jewelry. You know, I didn't come from a a rich background. But for my bat mitzvah, which would have been 1990, funny enough, a relative who couldn't come, who I didn't even know that well, but they lived in New York, probably opened up the catalog and picked out something small. And so for like 20, 25 years until I lost it, my only piece of jewelry was a Peretti bean. 
and it really meant a lot to I me. I wanted that so badly. I grew up wanting one of one of the beans. I wanted one so badly. To me, that was such a a status symbol of like simple elegance. I remember when I was moving to New York at 22, being like, I'm going to buy myself one of those. And I never actually did. I always wanted one. To me, that was such a such a simple symbol of status and elegance. And it's something I didn't know until I was an adult, really, that it was a big mm-hmm. deal. Yeah. It's gone now. But it's, it's it was so a part of my identity for so long because it was mm-hmm. the only piece of jewelry I wore. So I'm glad we could talk about Elsa. Join us next week for part two. Thank you for listening, friends. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please show us your support by liking, subscribing, and interacting with us on social media. Our handle everywhere is at MurphyBrownPod. You can also email us at MurphyBrownPod at gmail.com. Or visit our website at MurphyBrownPod.com. Share us with your friends. Give us a five-star rating. Wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the podcast by checking out our Patreon. You can donate once. Or be a recurring subscriber. And access exclusive deep dives on Murphy Brown and other related topics. As well as bonus content we had to cut for time. 100% of what you donate goes towards creating this podcast. So any way you are able to support, we deeply appreciate. And we'll see you next time. For another edition of FYI. The Murphy Brown Podcast. And so I'd love to talk about that. Just a little backbone on her. Vogue referred to Elsa Peretti as our... Do you, I'm sorry. You said a little backbone on her? Oh, my God. That's such a Freudian slip.